We're going to go a little bit old school tonight or today. And uh, I'm not putting scriptures up on the screen for you. You're going to have to actually get your Bible out, okay? I'd like you to get a Bible and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17 because that's where we're going to spend our time. If you don't have a Bible handy but you got one of those little smart devices, you know, two things I'd like to ask you to do. Number one, reach down and make sure that sucker's turned off, okay? I mean, I don't mean off-off, but turn the ringer off. And then nobody needs you so bad in the next 25 or 30 minutes that you have to answer the phone, I promise. And then the other thing is if you have a Bible app on there, you can look it up there, okay? 1 Samuel chapter 17. I'm going to put mine out here so I can keep an eye on the clock. We used to have a clock up here back in the day when I was the guy preaching, and someone has dug that sucker out and disposed of it. <clears throat> but I know we still have some clock-eyed brothers and sisters in the world today, so I'm going to do my best to watch the clock. Just for the record, I want you to know it's 1036. I have never in my life preached a 20-minute sermon. It ain't going to happen today either. So I apologize in advance for those that are concerned about that. And if you're not, that's okay too. You do have a listening guide on the back of your bulletin. Guess what else I'm not going to do? I'm not going to put the answers up on the screen for you. I would like you to actually listen, okay, and not wait for the prompt. Uh, it's just exercise to see if we can still do it, Roger. But uh, we got blanks there. You need to fill them out. If you don't fill them out, you don't get to eat lunch. <laughs> Guaranteed. I've already talked to all the restaurants and cafeterias in the area. And if you're a member of the Dell City Church and you don't present a completely filled out listening guide, they will not serve you today. I want you to think of a teenager named David. He's probably about 17 years old. And he did what no one else in the entire kingdom could do. He fearlessly faced and victoriously vanquished a man they said couldn't be killed. He killed Goliath. We're all familiar with the story of Goliath. In the story of David and Goliath, there are three dynamic principles in David's life that I think very graphically portray how he lived his life. These are the things that enabled him to succeed where everybody else had failed. And it gained for him a reputation. And the reputation followed him even after his death into the New Testament in Acts 13 and verse 22, where the scriptures state that David was the man after God's own heart. The three dynamic principles I see in his life are what I want us to talk about today from this story. You know it as the story of David and Goliath. I want you to think about it as David and the princess. Because I think in Sunday school, we've taught this wrong all the years that I've been alive. And we've emphasized some of the right things, but a lot of the things that are important, we've left out. They don't give you the true picture in Sunday school of what really happened on that particular day in 1 Samuel chapter 17. You're not going to believe what it is I'm going to tell you. That's why I want you to look it up. In 1 Samuel 17, you can look it up. What I'm going to tell you today is not made up. It is true, and it's not the same story you taught in Sunday school. I want you to know here's what really happened that day when David arrived at the camp that afternoon in 1 Samuel 17. The Bible says that all of Israel was arrayed for battle. I mean, swords were flashing and out of their seas, and horses were snorting and stomping on the ground, and flags were flying in the air, banners were everywhere, trumpets were poised and ready to blast. It was a very magical moment. And so you can imagine when David, this teenage kid, comes to this spot, 
how fascinated he had to be. That's why he left the baggage with the serpent and ran out into the battle. I mean, the, the, the Philistines were on one side and the Israelis were on the other side and they were poised to fight. And David ran out into the battleground because he wanted to see who was going to win. He didn't run out there because he was brave. He was curious. He was a spectator. If he had a smartphone, he'd have been filming it. He wanted to keep that moment. And as he ran out there to see what was going to happen, that's when Goliath appeared. And when I talk about Goliath today, I want you to think about Goliath as any obstacle or anything between you and your dream. Whatever it is. Whatever's between you and being what you want to be in your life. And when you face a Goliath, when you face a crisis problem, when you face that super problem, and I don't know what your super problem is. Maybe for you it's drugs. Maybe it's not illicit drugs like heroin, but maybe it's some other drug the doctor prescribed and it's just gotten to be too big of a habit for you. Or maybe it's alcohol. You, you mean people at church have alcohol problems? Sometimes they do. Maybe it's sexuality. Maybe it's parents. Maybe it's your kids or decisions or a career or some school choice. Whatever your super problem is today, is your Goliath. And when you face that Goliath, there's always a tendency to become disillusioned or defeated or discouraged. But when you read the life of King David, the great king of Israel, you come to this conclusion very quickly. Goliath was the best thing that ever happened to David. And Goliath was the beginning of a great career. And sometimes those obstacles, sometimes the challenge, sometimes the closed door can be a disillusioning experience. But I want you to remember that Goliath may be for you the very best thing that's ever happened to you. And so here we have Goliath. And when Goliath appeared that day, he gave a speech. And he wasn't just big, but he was good. I mean, he had great confidence. He knew exactly what he was going to say. And he gave this speech, and when he gave his speech, the Bible says, listen to me, the Bible says that everybody ran. And that's important. Look at this in verse 24, if you don't believe me. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled for him and were much afraid. That's important because you know what that means? That means David ran too. And that's not what they teach you in Sunday school. In Sunday school, they teach you this. Well, the guy came out there and he made a statement and the Israelites ran and David stood there and he was brave and he was bad and he said, what? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? That's what they teach you in Sunday school. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says everybody ran. And David ran too, just like everybody else with a brain. So David gets back to camp. It's in 1 Samuel 17. You can, you can follow along. I'm summarizing, but it's all there. David gets back to camp. And he hears some guys having an interesting conversation. He overhears it. A couple of soldiers were talking about Goliath. And one soldier was saying to the other soldier, Hey, do you know what the reward is for the man who kills Goliath? The other guy said, Yeah, I heard. He... He's going to be a prince. He'll marry the princess. He'll ride a horse. He'll own land. He'll never pay taxes as long as there's a king on the throne of Israel. He nor any of descendants. 
And that's when David said what they teach you in Sunday school. What? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armors of the living God? You don't believe me? It's in verse 26. That's when he says it. And it wasn't Goliath that turned David's head that day. It was the princess. I'm telling you. He was excited about marrying a princess. And that's why I believe this story is better named David and the princess. And the reason why David said what is because he liked what he heard and he wanted to hear it again. Tell me again. I got to know. And so with that, I want us to look at those three dynamic principles that I see in this story that I think if we can apply those to our lives, Danny, if we can apply them to the church as elders, if we can apply them to our leadership, if we can apply them to every circumstance, every Goliath, every giant problem out there, we will have repeated victories for Jesus Christ just like David did. And here's the first one. And those of you that are going to fill in your blanks so you can eat lunch, here's where you start, okay? The very first principle I see is that you must have a dream. If you're going to succeed in anything, if you're going to be victorious in anything, if you're going to begin to live the life God wants you to live today, you must have a dream. And David was like everybody else. He was like you and me. He wanted to do something significant with his life before he died. He wanted to do more than just live and breathe and go to work and go home and die one day. He wanted to be a somebody. And when David took care of those sheep out there in the wilderness, worked for his father, I'm going to tell you something. He had plenty of time to dream. You ever have a conversation with sheep? I mean, it's not very interesting. They don't talk back. <laughs> That's about all they do, right? So he had lots of time to dream, lots of time to think about what he could be one day. And so when he was away at battle and someone said, Prince, his ears perked up. And he said, what? There's my dream. I've been dreaming this my whole life. And we all have different interests and dreams, right? I mean, everybody here has got something you want to become, something you want to do, something you want to be. And it's the word Prince that caught David's attention. Here's your next blank. I believe that dreams are a gift from God, and they are a natural resource which will propel us to success. They're a natural resource just like oil and gas and gold is in the world we live in today. And I'm glad God gives us dreams and gives us the ability to dream. And I'm glad he gives us the ability to dream good dreams and big dreams and huge dreams and impossible dreams. I'm glad he gives us that. God could work the other way. He could give us nightmares. I mean, God could just give you stuff in your head and keep you up at night and about how the problems you're going to face and how you're going to overcome them and how am I going to do this. And I know we get some of those. But God gives you the ability to dream and have good dreams. And he gave David those good dreams. And so David was talking to some soldiers after he, they repeated, you know, what the reward was. So he's talking to the soldiers. And they're telling him about the reward, about the man who killed Goliath. This is what he's going to get. And then David's older brother. Older brothers, you've got to love them. But, but they know everything, right? Am I right? All you older brothers, just be honest and say, yep, we know it all. Because that's the way older brothers are. Well, Eliab was David's older brother. And he heard these soldiers and David talking. And, and what he couldn't understand as they were talking to David, is that Eliab knew David was a nobody. He knew he was a kid. 
All he knew how to do was take care of sheep. He's never going to be a prince. He's never going to avoid paying taxes. He's never going to ride a horse. He's never going to marry a princess. He's never going to amount to anything. And what he couldn't understand is why even two soldiers would take the time to listen to what David had to say. David really had these soldiers impressed. You know, it's like he had his pad and paper out. And he's like, okay, now let me get this down. What's the reward? They didn't know he was just a kid. I mean, maybe he knew karate or something, right? I mean, he's going to go kung fu the guy. And he gets out there and he's writing it down. And Eliab comes up and he says this. All right, David. I know why you're here. You just want to see what soldiers look like in their uniforms, didn't you? <laughs> well, you've had a big day, kid. You've seen a lot of big soldiers today. But i got to ask you a question. Who's taking care of those scrawny sheep that you take care of for our dad while you're out here? And Eliab just shot him down. Cold. Why would he do that? Why does any older brother do that, right? Because nobody likes a dreamer. That's just a fact of reality. Dreamers have always been persecuted. Dreamers have always been left on the peripheral. Nobody wants you to have a dream. You know, you get an idea, you get a dream for some future for you or future for the church, some ministry idea, some plan that you think is amazing. And sometimes even your own brothers and sisters will shoot you down and say it can't be done. And who do you think you are anyway to think you can do that? But I'm going to tell you something. If God blesses you with a dream, if God blesses you with an idea, if God gives you a plan in your mind, don't let somebody else kill your dream. Give it a chance. Give it a chance. I'm not saying you shouldn't expose your dream to criticism or counsel because there's wisdom in that. But before you let someone else destroy your dream, give it a little room to grow and breathe because every idea is a natural resource from God. You know what David did after Eliab shot him down cold? It's in verse 30 if you want to, if you want to follow me. The Bible says, And he turned away from him toward another and spoke the same way. And the people answered him again as before. And here's what that means. Find someone else. Find someone somewhere who believes in you. I mean, we, know, we all know how David must have felt, right? Older brother comes in, shoots him down. You nincompoop, what are you trying to impress soldiers about? He was embarrassed, probably angry, feeling like a misfit. We've all been there. I want to encourage you today to never allow the Eliabs of the world to destroy your self-image. Don't allow them to cause you to be discouraged and quit trying. Just turn away to someone else when you have a dream. And David found someone else. You know what he did when he found someone else? He asked the question for the third time. What's the reward? And here's what I love about David. He puts his mind on the princess and not the problem. So many times in life, 
We focus on the problem in 101 ways why it's not going to work. 101 ways we, that we did it before and it didn't work then. It's not going to work now. Who do you think you are? Better than we were back then? David focuses on the princess and not the problem. You know, if we'd been on the battlefield that day, Vaughn, I have an idea, we'd have been walking around with a pen and paper asking questions about a Goliath, all right. How tall is he? How much does he weigh? Uh, you know, what in the world? How far can he throw the spear? And how fast? That sucker had a 15-pound spearhead on it. Can he run fast? What's his middle name? Maybe if I have his middle name, I can just tease him until he does something stupid. You know, Goliath... Bartholomew, or whatever his middle name was. That's the kind of stuff we would write down, but not David. He's running around asking questions, but he wants to know not about Goliath. He wants to know about the princess. Is it true she bathes in perfume? <laughs> Is it true that she's the most beautiful in all the land? Is it, what's it like to ride on a horse? How much land do I really get? What's the reward for the man who kills Goliath? There is energy and there is power in putting your mind on the reward and not your Goliath. And what I want us to take from that is that you and I need to quit dwelling on our failures. We need to quit dwelling on our defeats. And we need to start looking at our victories and remind us of where God has brought us so far. And we can only imagine where he's going to take us. Look at God, what God can do with you. Look at the reward. Look, you can't marry a princess without killing a Goliath. That's just a hard, cold reality. There's nothing worthwhile in this life that doesn't have a cost. And there's going to be a challenge. And there's going to be a fight. And so don't be discouraged when you face some giants. That just means there's a princess on the other side. And you've got everything to look forward to. You must have a dream. The second dynamic principle in David's life I want to share that we can learn from today is simply this. Give your dream a try. Give it a try. Take the first step. Who knows how easy it will be after that. Maybe your dream is to be an A-plus student. I know those of you who are still in school, getting ready to go back to school, you're probably not thinking about that yet, right? I mean, Saturdays is a back-to-school bash, yeah, but... Then there's going to come assignments, and I don't know. Do they give homework anymore? Some schools don't even give homework anymore. I don't think that you have really gone to school if you don't have homework. You're just going to daycare if all you do is that, okay? you got to have homework. So you come home, and you got assignments and projects. If your dream is to be an A-plus student, here's what you have to do. Dig into the books. Get started. Get on the Internet. If it's on the internet, it's true, right? Well, maybe not. So you better be careful with that. If your goal or your dream is to lose weight, then change your diet. Take the first step. It may be a long journey, but it starts with the first step. If it's to save a crumbling marriage, call a competent counselor. If it's to be a part of a growing church, you know what you need to do to be a part of a growing church? Invite somebody to come here with you. The way you grow the church is not from a dynamic preacher or, you know, amazing elders or great programs 
or beautiful buildings or perfectly paved parking lots. That's not how you grow the church. You grow the church because everybody who's a disciple of Jesus asks someone to join them in the journey. That's how you grow the church. You grow the church by making disciples. You don't make disciples by having a plan to grow the church. One is ahead of the other, and we shouldn't be that way. For some, your dream may be to turn a failure into success. Maybe you'd like to quit smoking or stop drinking or remove bickering from your home or turn a sexually immoral relationship pure or eliminate foul speech from your mouth or say no to drugs. Can I just say something about the foul speech thing? I even had a preacher's kid who was in ministry asked me one time, where in the Bible does it say we can't use four-letter words? Easy. Ephesians 4. If you don't believe me, just look it up and read it. Okay, it's in there. Well, guess what? You people who play with social media and you, you like this and you share that. and You need to read a little more carefully what you're sharing and what you're liking. Because it would make a sailor blush what some believers in Jesus Christ put out there on social media. I'm just throwing that out there. That was free. It has nothing to do with this lesson whatsoever. The point is, whatever your dream, give it a try. Take the first step. Who knows how easy steps two, three, and four will be. And you know, as impossible and incredible as success and victory seemed for David this day with Goliath, he was willing to give it a try. You know why? Because he was not afraid to lose. He wasn't afraid to lose. He was not afraid of failure and rejection. There are two enemies in your life that you're going to face. They're your worst enemies. They are fop and fof. Now, if you know what fop and fof are, before I tell you, you get a free donut later, okay? Fop. Fop is fear of people. Fear of people is your greatest enemy because you're afraid of what they think of you. They're afraid of what they're going to say about you. You know, I came to this realization a long time ago. Um, I, I still struggle with it, but it, it's a fact. When you think people, when you're afraid of what people are going to think of you, it will shock you to realize how much they don't <laughs> think of you. you it, contrary to popular opinion, you are not the most important person in the world that people think about on a daily basis. Don't worry about what people think of you. That's pretty irrelevant. And then there's FOF. You know what FOF is? FOF is fear of failure. If you live your life fear of failure, it will prevent you from trying even once. I love this quote. I don't know who said it. Maybe you do. Better to have tried something great and failed than to try something, not tried anything and succeeded. I just blew that quote. But anyway, you get the idea. Absolutely. Try! Maybe you'll fail. That isn't even the point. Maybe you'll win. And that's the point. And that's what David did. All right, we got one more. Give God the glory. Give God the glory. The deal was, here's the deal. Ancient warfare was weird. I mean, it was up close and personal. You couldn't get away from it. You couldn't, like, 
be two miles away with a sniper rifle and take out your enemy. You had to get up where you could smell him, and it was blood and sweat and tears and guts and screaming and moaning and crying. And Pal the, the Philistines and, and the Israelis, they wanted to avoid that. And so the deal was two men were going to fight the entire battle for the Philistines and the Israelis to save this enormous bloodshed. Philistines liked that plan because they knew their guy was going to win. He was nine feet nine. Okay, if he tiptoed, he'd hit a basketball goal, all right? That's how tall this guy was. And he was proportionally big as well everywhere else. And Goliath was expecting this fight to be with a warrior of Israel. And so when David walked out to meet him that day, can you imagine what Goliath thought? He couldn't believe his eyes. I mean, what an insult. He must have thought, now, oh, I see what they're doing. They know they can't win, so they're sending a boy out here. So when I defeat him, they can come back later and mock me for killing a boy. I see what they're up to. Listen to the words of Goliath, verse 43. And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. How would you like to have been David? Come here, boy, and let me feed you to the dogs. You're not going to be anything left. But here's what David replied in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you had defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give, you the, dead, give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the field, that all the world may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And you know what David is doing in that speech, that rebuttal? He is giving God all the glory. All right, you know the rest of the story, right? David puts the rock in the slingshot, threw it at Goliath, hit him in the head. It went into his head. He fell down on his face. David ran over, took the giant sword, cut off his head. And when Goliath's head rolled, the Philistines knew their champion was dead, and they fled. And Israel prevailed, and Israel won. Why? Because one teenage boy had a dream to be somebody. He wasn't afraid to try, and he gave God the glory. And it is these three dynamic principles that carried David through his entire life so that today he is still called the man after God's own heart. We need leaders like David. We need church members like David. We need the rank and file people of God's kingdom to be like David. And so my question to you today is, is what about you? What about you? Would you like to be the man after God's own heart? Would you like your epitaph to say that this person gave their entire energy to God and never shrunk from any challenge, but always met it head on and was a visionary? We've all heard about people like that. It is not that hard to do.
If a 17-year-old boy who's used to taking care of stinking sheep can do it, then surely you, empowered, filled with the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ, can do that. Surely you can face whatever obstacle is before you today and conquer it with amazing might and amazing power. But you know, that's not the end of the story for David. A few years later, David was faced with another Goliath, another challenge. He began to be embroiled in lust. He let that lust move him to commit adultery. He followed that adultery up with lying about it to cover it up and finally had to kill someone in order to further cover it up. You would think that God would have just struck him down and kicked him out at that moment in time. And he did face some hard challenges after that. He did have some dire consequences. I mean, his kids went rebellious. The kingdom was snatched away from him. There was turmoil in his house for the rest of his life. But God forgave him, and God still used him, and still calls him a man after my own heart. I don't know where you've been or what you've done, but I'm going to tell you something. It is no worse than where I've been and what I've done. And I'm not wearing that like a badge of honor. I am wearing that like a badge of gratitude to God because he can take no matter what mess you're in and use that for something grand and something great and something good. Now you have an opportunity when you leave here today. You can go out of here and say, okay, that was a good sermon. Where are we going to eat? And go eat your food and go take your nap this afternoon and life goes on pretty much as it is. Or you can take this message and you can make a decision today. I'm not going to be just mediocre any longer. I do have dreams. I do want to be somebody. I do want to marry a prince or a princess. And you can turn that over to God and give him the glory, and he'll use you for something great. I see great things for the future of the Dell City congregation. We have a great history. Numbers are in decline over the past few years. All that simply means is we're not doing our job. We need to get up and do our job. We need to get out and not just talk to people, but talk to them about Jesus Christ. We need to make friends with people in the community, but not just to be their friend, but to be their family in Jesus Christ. And it's not going to happen from one person, but it can begin with one person, and that one person can be you. And my challenge for you today is, will you be that person? Will you be the one person that brings one? Just bring one. That's not a huge Goliath. And I'm asking you to do that. Maybe you've got something you want to repent of and turn away from and need some help doing that. That's why we're here. We want to pray with you, encourage you, lift you up. If you're not in Jesus Christ, we want you to get there. And I'm asking you to let that be today that you make that choice. While we stand and sing, would you come talk to me right now?